Hi, I want to welcome you to something a little different than the normal Noise Creators podcast in that this is going to actually be a chapter from the audiobook of my last book, Processing Creativity. They say if you love something, then you have to set it free. So that's exactly what I'm doing. A year ago, I put out this book and I really want it to keep spreading to people. And I realized one of the ways you have to do that sometimes is by making it free. So from right now till July 1st, this book will be free and a different chapter of it will come out every week for the next few weeks. And it'll stay available for free till July 1st. And then I'm going to delete these podcasts as well. During this time, the Kindle book will be 99 cents, but the physical book will remain at the regular price because, you know, they cost money to print. So enjoy this free audiobook. It's a very similar subject to what you hear on this podcast most of the time. And if you enjoy it, please, please, please pay it back. You know, this book usually costs almost $20 on Audible. The way you can pay it back is just telling somebody else who will enjoy it about it. It's really important to me that these ideas spread. And that's why I'm doing this. So I hope you enjoy it. And I hope you spread the word. Thank you. Hey, before we get started, I want to tell you about Manic Merch, who's sponsoring this podcast. They want you to stop selling merch like an idiot. In 10 minutes, you can upload designs and sell merch with your own store of every popular merch item, while Manic Merch handles sales, shipping, customer service issues so that creators can create and not be bothered while still profiting the way they would if they did it themselves. Manic Merch is perfect for musicians, movies, YouTubers, podcasts, meme makers, startups, and anyone else who has good ideas for merch designs. Let me tell you about some of the key features of Manic Merch. You can set up a store in minutes for no money down. All you have to do is upload your merch designs and tell us how much you want to make off each one and we'll take care of the rest. You can avoid all the headaches of customer service emails, packing up packages, and heading to the post office. There's no financial risk since you put no money down or headaches for you to start selling merch. Fans buy more merch when they get to choose how to express themselves. You can upload your merch designs and sell more merch by allowing fans to choose the colors and what they want them printed on. Whether it's t-shirts, sweatshirts, lighters, hats, or coffee mugs, they have over 20 different items that you can print on. You get to set your own prices where you can lower your prices if you want to sell more and raise them if you want to make more from each sale. You can also get the email of everyone who buys from you and you get paid every month on time and you also have the ability to track sales. Stop selling merch like an idiot and sign up for a store at manicmerch.com today. Chapter 15, Engineering Your Environment for Creativity. If you have the time, ability, and budget to control your environment, you can make yourself more creative. There's a variety of choices that can help get distraction out of your life to help you be more creative. While some see these as essentials to creativity, they're really little tweaks that can give you additional momentum in your creative work. Your creative space. Make it easy to create. When I attempted to make my solo record, one of the biggest barriers was how long it took to set up my home studio compared to my commercial studio. It was an extreme deterrent for me to create music knowing there'd be 15 minutes of setting up and rooting cables on one of my rare days off from doing that every day. The part of the brain that wants to create is very different than the practical one that does work like organizing DAW files. This is why it's important to root cables and make templates so you can capture ideas the second you're ready. Having the instruments you regularly use to create already set up can be the difference between capturing inspiration, or losing it. Since you'll inevitably experience resistance, it's important there's not unneeded resistance that can be alleviated by making your workspace ready to capture ideas. Navigating comfort and creativity. There's a plethora of articles online on what comfort does to your creativity that contradict one another. To understand this dynamic, let's figure out how to use comfort as a tool as well as understand when it's a deterrent. 
When I was a teenager, a successful A&R guy who had signed many of my favorite bands told me that he wouldn't work with a band that's comfortable. He'd ask every potential signee if they liked being home more than on tour, and if the answer was yes, no matter how good they were, he wouldn't sign them. He wanted to be sure this band would be out on the road touring to promote their music, not sitting at home on their couch. The comfort of their home would kill the promotion of their music when the going gets tough, they'd return to their comfort zone. This thought also applies to motivation. Artist David Cho has said comfort kills creativity. So despite being extremely wealthy, he lives in an uncomfortable home so that he wants to be in his art studio creating all the time. After all, if your studio is the place you'd rather be, you'll be motivated to leave home to create as much as possible. But comfort does have a place in creativity. The statement can be seen another way. His studio is so comfortable that it nurtures his work. Having a comfortable chair, as well as the tools you need to work, is a comfort that can help sustain extended creative sessions. The reassurance in knowing you have tools that can be easily used to capture inspiration is an invaluable comfort that nurtures any artist's creativity. While you can do many tweaks to optimize your creative environment to be more effective, you can never use your environment as an excuse not to create. Far too many artists use the fact that their environment must be perfect for them to work. This neglects that the environment is only there to help you capture yourself more effectively. A comfortable chair or a quiet space can help you sustain creativity and flow. However, these tools only make our environments more comfortable. They don't enable the creativity. This means you must do the work even if these luxuries are unavailable. The messy desk versus the sterile studio. It's said that creative brains are trying to organize the chaos of the world. But if that's the case, then why are most of their working areas chaotic messes? Everyone loves to parade around the quotes from very smart creatives about a messy desk, especially those who need to defend their rat's nests against significant others who are disgusted by their creative space. But like anything else, there's a balance to the chaos of the messy desk, and not every mess can be justified by it being the way a master works. The benefits of a messy desk should be understood as most creatives care less than others about keeping up appearances to be presentable. They care that their tools are close by so they can work when inspiration strikes. As we talked about with compositing notebooks, keeping around a wide variety of tools and inspiration can stimulate creative juices. When the messy desk goes too far, you can never find anything you need to create due to a lack of organization. But the messy desk is defensible when you know where what you need to create is, but it's unsorted to the outside eye. It looks like a mess to the outside world, but the workspace has a function despite appearing chaotic to others. Another reason for the messy desk is proficient creators would rather work than organize. The clutter doesn't bother them since they're focused on getting what's in their head out. Too many creators know to pretend they're making progress, but the more important task is perspiring. With that said, there are plenty of people who need neatness to create. This doesn't make them any less creative than those with a messy desk, just of a different discipline. Some fancy recording studios make musicians uncomfortable. They're afraid if they rock out, they'll break a piece of equipment that costs more than their car, or in the case of some mixing consoles, their parents' home, and are held back from feeling their music. Even worse, many expensive studios take down all the microphones and unwire the studio each day. This means whenever inspiration hits, it may take hours to set back up to capture it. This neat organization can be aesthetically pleasing, but it's at the detriment to capturing inspiration. This organization is only helping the studio get likes on Instagram instead of creativity. Drunk Tank Pink and Creative Blue the book Drunk Tank Pink, which is named after a finding that if police departments painted their drunk tanks in a brace of Pepto-Bismol colored pink, they could decrease the amount of fights within the drunk tank. The finding that discovered the calming effect of pink also found creativity could be enhanced using the color blue. A University of British Columbia study found that through associations with the sky, the ocean, and water, most people associate blue with openness, peace, and tranquility, which makes people feel safe about being creative and exploratory. This is also a cue for your brain, which is why long 
long walks outdoors can bring on new inspiration. The color red can also stimulate an attention to detail, so when looking to paint your creative environment, consider going beyond the normal white walls. Distraction as inspiration and creative deterrent. When we choose where to put our creative environment, the decision is often based on how much space we need from distractions in order to create effectively. If you listen to an interview with any creator on their space, they'll inevitably go into detail on how it either isolates them from distractions or it allows them to get inspired. The decisions of how we engineer our space are reflective of how we feel about distractions and our discipline. Engineering your environment to get into a flow state more easily will increase the quality of your output. Distractions versus breaks. When we talk about our spaces, the cliche of the cabin in the woods comes up often, as it's the most isolated space possible. One of the big issues with discussing this approach is a confusion between distractions and breaks. Distractions are unwanted elements that come into our creative place that break us out of our mindset. These could be alerts that come from your phone, others coming into your space, or even seeing something outside the window that breaks your state of flow. They can also come in the form of temptations that are hard to resist. Distractions are largely destructive to our creativity since they take us out of flow states which make us lose our train of thought during creative bursts. They make us forget what we are even thinking of as we lose thoughts we may never have again. In Deep Work, Cal Newport talks of the need of long distraction-free sessions of work that allow your mind to go deeper into thought without the constant checks of social media. Instead, you want an environment that enables your mind's ability to go into deep thought on your work. Since reading his book, I've tried this technique in my own work and found it to be life-changing. While it's great to welcome distractions while getting inspired and incubating thoughts, when it comes time to perspire, your ability to get into a flow state needs to be guarded. I put on headphones to seclude myself from the city I work in to be free of any distractions. My phone goes on airplane mode for hours at a time so that I can only see alerts when I'm out of a flow state. As a hyperactive multitasker who's addicted to their Twitter feed, I value my high information diet, but it needs to be separated from when I perspire. It can be tough to depart from the connected world, but I found that choosing which mode I'm in while guarding my perspiration against distractions has dramatically improved my work's quality. Newport puts it this way, when you work, work hard, when you're done, be done. Unlike distractions, breaks are useful and should be used whenever we feel overwhelmed or when we're not making the amount of progress we're used to. Psychologist Joydeep Bacharya says that the shower is good for epiphanies since you can finally hear the voices in your head talking. Taking a long walk is another great example of how to get some of this inspiration back. Recognize that breaks help us incubate ideas and regain objectivity. So they should be welcomed and not seen as time taken away from progress, but as a nutrient towards further progress. Time spent resting your brain is time earned in both efficiency and clarity towards your project. I often like to think of rest as a bow and arrow. If rest is how far back you pull the bow, greater rest allows the arrow to shoot faster and farther. Whereas if you barely rest, your arrow will go slow and travel a shorter distance. If you want to find inspiration, then you know where the city is. Every major study on innovation has shown that cities yield greater inspiration for innovative work. If you're feeling uninspired and alone in your small town, as the cliched pop-punk song goes, you're not alone. It can be pretty uninspiring, and that's just science. For a wide variety of reasons, cities are more inspiring. The difference isn't small either. A city 10 times its neighbor's size isn't just 10 times more creative, it's 17 times more creative. Now with the widespread ability to learn and have an amazing network on the internet, I'm sure this can be hacked if you're using the vast world of the web to get inspired, but there's still sufficient evidence the benefits of living in a city add to creativity. Because there's more possibility of possibility in a city. Whether you're walking by or want to take in some culture, cities have more possibilities to inspire more possibility. 
There are thousands of bars, art spaces, and restaurants where creators discuss their work every single night, so there's a likelihood of taking an inspiration there more than any concentrated area in the world. There are also writers and avid fans of music that can help give you insight to nurture you. Stephen Berlin Johnson's Where Good Ideas Come From says that what leads to the greatest heights of creativity is interacting with creators of different backgrounds. When studying top innovators in many fields, they find they usually have a social circle where they interact with a wide variety of people of different disciplines. The chance that you'll interact with another person with insight or attend an inspiring event like a concert or art show is much more likely in the city. Putting yourself around other creators and learning the parameters of their disciplines as well as how they apply to yours is proven to nurture better ideas. This makes a big case for why you see the majority of buzz bands coming out of the Brooklyn area I call home. Northwestern Brooklyn and a small part of lower Manhattan seem to turn out the majority of the buzz bands in American music. Even if the musician isn't from there, they at least spend some time here touring, recording, doing press, or visiting friends. The total population of these neighborhoods is about a half a million people, which is also the population of the whole state of Wyoming. But this area of Brooklyn is squeezed into under 10 miles, which a river takes up about a mile of. Wyoming is just shy of 100,000 square miles, meaning it's 10,000 times the size. This environment is why I chose to make Brooklyn my home once I left my parents' house. While the seclusion of the country can give you the focus you need to create great art in an undistracted environment, the overwhelming scientific evidence says that you'll get more inspiration to achieve creative heights inside a city. The Cabin in the Woods But what about that creative haven, the cabin in the woods? Many artists long for a distraction-free environment. This is why this scenario has been employed for as long as creativity has been discussed. Getting away from the distractions and obligations of being close to home, bills, friends, and every other distraction from your creation can give your mind an immense amount of focus. Never mind that the only activities at your disposal are to create or go hiking. There's a part of this approach that must employ a few techniques to be effective. While it's hard to call a book like Walden uninspired, we know cities are better for inspiration. Since we get more inspired by the possibility of possibility, the cabin life isn't very inspiring. Furthermore, scientists find when you have leaky attention, you can get more inspired by distractions since it allows time for incubation. Now, I'm sure if you have Spotify with 75 records on a playlist you've been dying to listen to, you can easily get inspired. But this isn't as effective as the natural incubator of the city. The city allows for more stimulation, distraction, and serendipity. The cabin can be too extreme if the discipline is all work and no play or distraction. When the cabin in the woods technique works well, the artist is brimming with inspiration while ready to perspire. This scenario allows them to get all the inspiration out of their head without the world imposing its distraction upon them. This is often why you see commercial studios offer seclusion from the outside world, since a commercial recording studio is mostly a space to execute ideas. I choose to keep my studio in a town outside of the creative hub I live in. Limiting unexpected drop-ins as well as the temptation to hit a great restaurant or a club keeps work focused. But breaks, incubation time, and other stimulation are needed even in the execution part of the process. Don't anticipate 16-hour days of perspiration once you you arrive at a cabin. You need time to relax and get distracted to give more consideration to your creation. Chapter 16, Sustaining Creativity. One of the things we all constantly wonder is why people suck as they get older. If they're getting better at creativity, why aren't they making better work? Well, some of this also comes down to the laziness of believing in yourself. Insecurity fuels a lot of hard work. Your ego can become an obstacle to your work. If you start believing in your greatness, it's the death of your creativity. Marina Abramovic it's extremely rare to find an artist who's able to do their best work continually for more than a few years. They rarely understand what made their work great or don't value figuring out how to sustain it. 
If you write down 20 of your favorite musicians, I bet it's less frequent they were able to sustain their creative peaks for more than a five-year period. Never mind decades. It's uncommon to sustain this creativity since it's not a skill you acquire. Instead, it's another muscle that needs to be kept in shape. It isn't only knowledge that allows us to sustain creativity. It's the habits to continually question yourself that sustains it. While it isn't up to us to judge whether someone is continuing to do their best creative work, since what matters is their own happiness with their work, many creators acknowledge their best work is behind them. Quentin Tarantino says, a lot of people work goes bad when they're working to live instead of living to work. With success, you get to quit your day job, but what comes with that is the awful dilemma of whether to do what your heart tells you or do what will be best for your wallet. Similarly, your priorities become spending more time with your family, significant other, or another pursuit instead of your music. This dilemma has sent countless musicians back to their day job when they make a poor choice or begin to prioritize their life outside of their creative pursuits. Where creators fail. Arrogance is poison. While there are many reasons for creativity withering away, one of them is what Eric Weiner calls creeping vanity. A concept where creators begin to believe their own hype while developing an arrogance that's beyond a healthy confidence. Weiner's book, The Geography of Genius, says that every great culture begin a different way, but they all suffer the same fate of death by arrogance. This arrogance leads them to become blind to the rest of the world while resting on their laurels thinking they don't need to put in the same work they've done in the past. With each bit of success you receive, fighting back arrogance becomes one of the most important battles in your life. Far too often, once a creator receives success, they feel immune to criticism by believing their own hype. Outside criticism is invalid as they ignore the possibility of others' objectivity, since they see more than others. Remember the quote, talent hits the target no one else can hit, genius hits the target no one else can see? The rest of the world can't see the truth they see. This plagues countless unchecked egos, inevitably leading them to their demise. When we insult people by calling them egotistical, we find their confidence and bragging to be insufferable. But the true crime of ego is when arrogance creeps into their life. Thankfully, it leads to their downfall in due time. Always remain a student. There's a popular saying that you should always remain a student by remaining a perpetual amateur. If you're not continually growing by prioritizing the exceedingly difficult task of continuing to learn with the humility of a student, then your creative work will suffer. We do our best work when we admire others, knowing that we can learn from them. Just as arrogance is poison for creativity, when you stop learning, you halt the pursuit of new ways to advance your knowledge. There's a common trend in humans as we get older. We become less and less open to new experiences. But what we see with creators who can sustain great work is they fight off that mindset by continually exploring new possibilities of what they may enjoy. Challenging yourself. There's a rare breed of artists that can challenge themselves to not only research but also create within any genre. This can be a heavy metal guitarist that finds a way to find the emotions of pop music resonant to them and express themselves in an unfamiliar genre. For these creators, the thrill of creating is what inspires them. I know this type well, since it's why I enjoy producing so many different types of music. It's amazing how many people demean sampled music or EDM without ever experiencing how intricate tweaking goes into it, and how inspired they would be if they stopped blindly attacking a craft that's unappealing to them. As we discussed earlier, getting inspired by other disciplines is one of the best ways to get inspiration for your work. Some creators take on the mindset of trying to create without any instruction given by someone else. Taking on the challenge to create, even if it isn't what's most emotionally resonant to you, can be a giant learning experience to bring back to the emotions you want to express in your own work. I've done that before. 
As you continue to create, one of the most difficult decisions is to know whether you're repeating yourself or if you're developing a sound or a style. This standard can be the driving force for some creators to attain great heights by constantly pushing themselves forward in an exploration of an emotion. For others, this crushes them creatively as they constantly throw away good ideas that are emotionally resonant in favor of trying to come up with fresh work. Many artists challenge themselves not to use cliches, especially in lyric writing. Holding yourself accountable to challenge a new emotional resonance is helpful. But there's also countless examples when musicians have eschewed this and got an emotionally resonant result by following their emotions, no matter how cliche they may be. The balance of the standard is an under-discussed struggle of artists. Many musicians are satisfied making similar-sounding songs that hit a similar emotional place for countless records, whereas others push past that out of being easily bored or a superfluous challenge to do something new. The creative balance is to not do this out of a need to do something new, since other artists you respect always do something new. If you're creating songs that are emotionally resonant to you, trust that instinct. But if an element is feeling boring since you've done it before, it's also important to trust that instinct. While you could experiment with new ideas, if they don't feel as emotionally resonant as the songs that seem more generic, always remember that ACDC and the Ramones made whole careers of hitting the same emotional and musical notes over and over again that still had emotional power. Identity and Creativity as people change, a struggle often occurs with their identity. As we grow, it can feel odd to continue to create under a name where you created music that doesn't feel the same emotionally. The urge to adopt a different identity or go solo can plague creators. This should be embraced since it suppresses creative urges to express yourself in new ways instead of nurturing them. This urge to perspire new emotions should be embraced since we should nurture any emotions that want to be expressed. Far too many creators feel guilty about expressing themselves when it becomes outside of what their audience expects of them. If you need to express new emotions that you feel the need to share, take on a new alias if that's what makes you comfortable. Many musicians get mad about the press pigeonholing them and decide to take a left turn out of a rebellion. If you're making a creative decision to change for the sake of rebellion that isn't in line with what you emotionally feel, it rarely works out. Identity and creativity align when you discover a more authentic expression of yourself, not just shape-shifting into a new form for the sake of new form after being unhappy with how the world sees you. Don't judge a song by the first impression. Just as we may research some things we may not enjoy, we sometimes need to give our inspiration more than a single chance. Inevitably, it gets harder to connect with new music as we get less open to new experiences. But those who push past this tendency reap huge rewards. Inspiration in music isn't always easy to connect with at first, since whether a song will be resonant to you upon first listen isn't a given. I greatly disliked many of my favorite bands on first listen, but upon further listens, I found what was inspiring about them. The service hit predictor was started for record companies to predict whether a song could be a hit or not. They found that listeners can't accurately judge if they want to hear a song again until they've heard a song at least three times. Far too many listeners become jaded by not giving music a chance to have an emotional impact on them by expecting a reaction immediately. We've all experienced not being impressed by a song upon further listen that later becomes a favorite of ours. Some of my favorite albums from groups like White Lung, Modern Baseball, and the 1975 all sounded terrible to me on first listen. But on further listens, I saw what made them so great. I'm often in a happy mood but hear a sad song so I don't feel the resonance. If a recommendation comes from someone you trust, give it more than a single listen before you dismiss it. As we get older, it's important that if we see someone is inspiring our peers or those we admire, we should give them more than one chance to understand what's inspiring about them. Stay open to new experiences by giving them more than one chance to resonate with you. The Traits of a Creative Person 
Highly creative people do have some commonalities, and the good news is most of them are traits you can work on growing into if you don't already embody them. It's important to remember that not only do you have to continue to develop these traits, you also have to defend them from withering away. Here are the common traits identified by the top minds in the field on how you can work on developing to further your creativity. Curiosity. The urge to find what makes things tick and explore ideas is the most imperative quality of a creator. Too many creators grow old and begin to think they know it all. They lose their urge to explore and rest on their laurels. While it gets harder to find creatively stimulating inspiration, the higher your standards get, the payoff is greater, allowing you to continue to do exciting work. Open to experience. Being willing to try new things is crucial to growth. Those who are reluctant to try new things have a hard time finding good ideas. Many who study creativity argue this is the most important quality of a creator. This is why the term jaded gets thrown around synonymously with those who are no longer creating anything that sounds inspiring. They become too closed off to get inspired. Equipped with organization skills. While many creatives are messy in their living spaces, they have the ability to organize when needed and do it at a highly functional level. The more time you spend in a mess dealing with inefficiencies, the less time you spend creating. A mess is only justified if it helps you create better. Playfulness. Enjoying tinkering while immersing oneself in discovery is essential to getting good ideas. Too many creators grow bored of the time it takes to create while wanting fast results too fast. Remembering that it takes time to develop and have fun with what you create is essential to the process. Rebelliousness. Most great creators enjoy bucking trends. Finding what trends and models you disagree with to create a resonant work that shows why you disagree has been the start of great music throughout history. Individualism. Great creators shun conformity and are proud of being unique instead of like everyone else. Creativity can often be traced back to a lack of inclusion at a young age and even extreme rejection. Let's not try to count how many love songs that rejection has been the inspiration for. Contrary to the popular trope in how to treat children today by never telling them they do anything wrong, being rejected and feeling as if they're alone allows for an independent spirit. This allows them to not feel the need to conform to what everyone else does and births creations that aren't the same as everyone else. Sensitivity. Good creators are sensitive to nuance and subtlety as well as overt and obvious traits in the world. Getting lazy with observation or being cynical and jaded may feel good, but it doesn't lead to good creativity. Feeling intense emotion keeps us feeling alive, and those who feel more than others are often those who can communicate resonance effectively. Persistence. A great artist has to keep pushing on in the face of adversity. There's very little low-hanging fruit left in creativity that'll be rewarding to create today that won't be tough. Sticking with our pursuits to get what we're trying to express is essential. Fluency. Increasing your understandings of commonly used instruments, recording them, and exploring the options of how to treat them adds to your lexicon and ability to make the sounds that reinforce your intent is vital to expressing yourself authentically. Elaboration. The ability to know how to develop ideas into elements that reinforce your intent. Practice finding ways that align with the emotions you commonly have to find ways to reinforce them. Confidence. Those who are confident create more effectively. Taking the time to explore what keeps you from feeling confident is time that helps your creative output. Optimism. While the myth of the brooding and sufferably negative creative is prevalent through stories you hear, most creators are optimistic because they need to be to keep going and make great creations. They need the ability to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Happiness. Both happiness and a good mood are found to enhance creativity. Since creativity can bring your life happiness along with a sense of purpose, it can help you be more creative just by creating more. This can often be a double-edged sword since being forced to sit at a boring desk job, restricted from your creative endeavors, can bring on frustration and misery. Mark Beeman finds that those who score higher on a happiness test have an easier time creating. Finding out how to design your life so you're able to pursue your creative endeavors can get your creative motivation to a better place. Regardless, putting 
in an effort to stay happy will also keep you happy. Actions you can do to be more creative. Generate more ideas. As we discussed with building a better album, the more abundant and better ideas you have, the easier it is to make them into great songs. Working to generate more ideas to then pick the best ones is one of the best skills you can develop. Ask better questions. They always say geniuses ask better questions than others. Figuring out how to think about a question in a more nuanced way and how to take a more interesting route to an emotional expression can lead you to new places that are more resonant. Put yourself near other great creators. There are countless stories of the great creators of any age being inspired by talking to and collaborating with the best creators of their time. Get close to other creators and start a conversation. Top yourself. Don't settle for a downtick in your creativity. Continually top yourself and settle for nothing else. Be more present. Having your attention remain on what you're creating instead of being distracted by the thousand things vying for your attention today is a skill with great reward. Develop the ability to stay present and focused on your creation. Look for smaller details. Find the small details that you admire in others and work on how you develop similar details. Pattern recognition. Look for patterns in what you enjoy and figure out how to incorporate those patterns into what you do. Develop proficiency. The more proficient you are in creating, the easier it is to express yourself and diagnose the flaws in your expression and repair them. Develop diligence. Enhance your ability to stick with the pursuit of what you want to say. Far too many creators give up with little resistance. Go deeper. While I've produced records for over 20 years, the research I did on this book made me feel as if I knew nothing about the subject until I made many of the epiphanies you just read. There's always another part of music you can learn about that will increase the connections in your mind and allow you to take advantage of chance. Take the time to explore a subject you don't know about in order to improve your ability to understand how to communicate your emotions to get closer to your vision. Last, but most importantly, play. I've gone on and on about tons of very serious concepts, so it can be very easy to forget that you should have fun. As I was finishing this book, Stephen Berlin Johnson, who I cited throughout this book, released Wonderland, which shows that nearly everything great in this world has come from play. Have fun taking the lessons from this book, but don't take it too seriously and take the time to enjoy what you're doing. The most important way to make the music you want to hear is to continue to play until you find what you're looking for. This has been... Processing Creativity, The Tools, Practices, and Habits Used to Make Music You're Happy With by Jesse Cannon. A Noise Creator's Presentation. Produced by Jesse Cannon. Edited by Mike Ottinger. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to this chapter. Stay tuned next week for another chapter. Like I said, this is available till July 1st for free. The Kindle book is 99 cents on Amazon till July 1st as well. And if you enjoy this, please, 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 please tell other people about it. That's why I'm doing this. Thank you so much for listening.